Welcome to Football Bloody Hell. On the show tonight, we've got Paul Thorpe, Rick Hyatt, Adam Davis. Hilda Pryor and me. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. Um, oh, that was very tame. Heard, well, what he really yeah, meant to say was, tame. Football Bloody Hell! Right, carry on, Hilda. <laughs> yeah, delete as applicable, listener. Um, uh, as you have heard, uh, the guests on this evening, myself, Dave Pryor, A.D. Hopper, Ricky Hyatt, Adam Davis, and Thorpey O'Hall here with you. Uh, this evening. Um, unfortunately, though, before we do go on to the, the football, there is a couple of bits of sad news that we need to, to start with. Um, as we record this, um, AD, I'm going to come to you first because Yeovil Town have tweeted in the last hour or so that, um, unfortunately, of the sad passing of Tony Farmer. Um, many of you will know Tony. He worked as a physio at the club during the 90s, particularly with uh, the likes of Brian Hall, Graham Roberts, and our very own Steve Rutter, of course. Um, AD, sad news on that one. Yeah, it was, and I'll tell you something that was maybe even sort of stranger, really, because uh, Tony had moved to Crookham, which I didn't know, but I was doing some shopping in Waitrose, and this bloke walked past me, and I sort of looked at him and thought, I know you from somewhere, and then... Uh, and then he looked at me and you could tell he was thinking, I know you from somewhere, and it was Tony. And so we stopped and had a chat, and that was only about two weeks ago, so I'm kind of really shattered to, 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 you know, to hear the news because uh, you know, I worked with Tony for a, for a fair old while. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, one of his, his, his claims to fame was that when we used to go away to away games, we used to go to odd hotels to stop and have um, breakfast and what have you. <laughs> I remember one where when we stopped and uh, there was like a big sort of, uh, what should I call it, a sort of a salady type sort of unit with, with all sorts of fruit in it. Apples, oranges, bananas, plums, you name it, it was there. And he was like a hoover. <laughs> the whole bloody <laughs> the coach left, it left with all the fruit. So <laughs> he was brilliant for that sort of thing. But now, poor old Tony. But there's sad news, very sad news, and uh, commiserations and, and um, um, yeah, you know, to his, his parents and uh, his friends and what have you. Yeah, here, here. And not only have we obviously just been made aware of that, obviously, football also paid tribute this past week to the passing of. Uh, John Watson, of course, a broadcaster, much loved, over 50 years of, of service to the BBC. I mean, just from a personal point of view, um, one of the first sort of pioneers, really, of, of commentators that I certainly fell in love with and allowed me to want to sort of uh, get into diving into to that kind of game, really. If I'm anywhere, if I get to anywhere as close to as good as he was, I'll be... 
more than happy with as we all know that certain games and commentaries that everyone is sort of synonymous with particularly the 88 uh, Wimbledon win over Liverpool of course um, my um, personal favourite was England winning 5-1 in Germany and I, I think he he had a brilliant way of not coming across as overly biased because particularly like everybody he was an England supporter but I think I think the line was this just gets better and better and better, mm. and he was just living the moment. Um, Rick, I'll, I'll come to you first on this one. He Before was you just... go to Rick, I just I just sorry Rick to cut in on you. Go on. When we we played Barnet, um, must be three or four years ago now. But you know, obviously when you're working for the club as I was at that particular time, you had to get there early and get yourself set up and organised as to what you were doing. And um, so we were all there. And who should come along early with his long sheepskin coat on but Motti? And he was only too pleased to stop and have a chat. Lovely bloke. Really, really nice. No no innovations. Nothing about the guy. He was just lovely. When you've finished eating, mate, carry on. <laughs> I, the thing about about Motti, he was obviously he was the voice of one of the voices of football when I was growing up, and I was, it's funny enough. I I, I saw, uh, watched a game on ITV Four with uh, one of the other commentators. The other, there were three. As I was growing up, there were three commentators that were absolute. They set the bar, and nobody's got anywhere near it. We were so lucky to have three at the same time. That was Motti, Barry Davis, and Brian Moore. Yeah. from ITV and there's there's only Barry Davis left now and you listen to the standard of commentary that's going out now yeah and um, yeah, yeah. But, you know and it, it 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 doesn't it doesn't compare no. to to those to those three and it's just so sad to hear uh, of the passing of Motley and obviously uh, it's it's a great loss to it's a, it is a great loss to football Martin Tyler's about the only one that gets anywhere close like but he's 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 lost it now I don't mm. think he's even at his best. He was never in the same, no, same league. No, but he's he's anyone that gets anywhere near it. I don't. I, th I think you know. Yeah. But uh, Clyde Tilsley. Mm, yeah, and Solskjaer has won it. Yeah, I thought you might be uh, <laughs> particularly synonymous that one. Thought um, yeah. have you got any favourite Motti moments? No, he's just absolute a legend, uh, as far as I'm concerned, and. Um, you know, I think he's a bit of an icon as regards to through the commentators. You know, people want to try and emulate him. You know, and he's brought other people like yourself, David, along. You know, for the ride as well, and um, you know, with your quick wittedness as well, and um, and he was really, really sharp. Um, yeah, just going back to Tony Farmer. You know, I, I I was I'd like to play my own little tribute to him if we could, because um, you know, he was a physio whilst I was there. He helped me out on numerous occasions, and I, I remember. On one instance, I was injured, I had an ankle ligament injury and um, he, uh, I was basically out of the game. I really was frustrated and, uh, you know, he used an electrical device and I can honestly say that I've, although it was in, I was in a lot of pain when he was doing it for about 15, 20 minutes, but I can honestly tell you, I've never felt that injury ever since. He had an absolute genius way of trying to um, not only sort out your injuries, but actually decipher what was wrong with you and and only three weeks ago he was actually helping my daughter um get through a back and shoulder problem and um which he you know which he was success, successful in doing 
or certainly successful in helping sort the issue out. So, um, yeah, I spoke to Steve Rutter um, and uh, he was very friendly with him and Chris Wally coaching and um, they're, they're proper devastated. And um, unfortunately, Steve can't, won't be able to get to the funeral because he's obviously going to be, he's in Dubai at the moment uh, on a coaching course or delivering a coaching course over in Dubai. So um, I can only sort of like express um, my thanks to to Tony for his and the service for Yeovil but also in helping me and my family uh, when when required to do so. And um, all the little chats we used to have and, um, you know, it, 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 he was a lovely, lovely person. Yeah, well said, Thorpe. Well said, and as you say, uh, condolences to his family and friends yeah, on behalf of everyone at Three Valleys Radio on the pitch for Yeovil. Um, Adam, <laughs> I'm really sorry, but um, you were there on behalf of Three Valleys Radio this I weekend. You know what, I'm going to have to ask you, I'm sure you've gone over it multiple times <laughs> in your head, but just for context, obviously Yeovil now do find themselves, albeit with the game in, uh, games in hand on the teams around them, in the bottom four now um, at the time of recording, following the 2-1 defeat um, to York City. Two-part question really, Adam. Firstly, um, what did you make of the Yeovil performance on the day? And secondly, following that, how worried should Yeovil Town supporters be now if they weren't so already? Um, so for me, it was a no pressure. I actually, I actually thought they didn't play too badly. Um, I, I'm going to start with the positives and pro- inevitably get slightly more pessimistic as as time goes on. Um, I actually think we played quite well. We were playing against a team that were equally, um struggling for form which is probably the polite way of saying it and you could really tell that throughout the game um the game for the vast majority of the time was quite slow and i think for the first time i've witnessed in a very long time yeovil had the majority of possession so um it was it was an interesting it was an interesting game um obviously i was delighted to do the commentary on what was affectionately known from other radio stations as the Adam Davis Derby, given it was York versus Yeovil, which I quite enjoyed. Um, that that did the ego the world of good. But um, I think Yeovil played quite well. Uh, I liked one of the two new signings that joined uh, from Bristol City. Uh, there was Josh Hours and there was Seb Palmer Holden. Uh, for those that didn't have the pleasure of listening to me lose my mind over that game, um, Josh Hours is a box-to-box midfielder, whereas Seb Palmer Holden is a classic target man. Um, Josh Hours looked very, very good, looked well next to Matt Worthington uh, and, and was creating quite a few chances. And more importantly, was quite willing to get stuck in, which isn't something that, at times have been seen from Yeovil over many years. Um, Seb Palmer Holden struggled. So he's 18-odd on loan from Bristol City, and he was taking on Mark Ellis, who has 500-plus appearances for the EFL at centre-back, and he mm. was absolutely all over him. There, mm. there, are certainly, there are certainly better people to make your debut against. So it was a, a polarising performance. Uh, Yeovil actually dominated large parts of the game. We looked we looked good, but yet again couldn't finish. We didn't we didn't really get very close towards the 18-yard box. 
midfield looked good, defensively as strong as ever. Josh Staunton and Owen Bevan looking really, really good. Um, so I'm not entirely pessimistic by the performance. And as a result, I'm not too worried by where we currently find ourselves. Um, I think, well, I think we've got something about 15 games to go. If we were getting towards five to ten, I would certainly be more concerned than I am. But we didn't look like a team that deserved to go down. Having watched a lot of National League this season, mainly against York, um, there are there are teams worse and played worse against Yeovil uh, against York than than Yeovil did. Uh, they just happened to be they decided to be clinical for the first time this season. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a fair assessment. Um, Thorpe, I'm gonna I'm gonna come to you next. Um Yes. So as I say, they find themselves in the the bottom four at the, at the time of recording. Um obviously there's the game on Tuesday evening against Altrincham, so potentially they could be uh, out of the bottom four again. It could easily, you know, turn around. I say easily. Um how much can be taken from the off the field stuff. I mean, I don't really want to sort of get too much, drag too much into it. it we, we've spoke about it many a time on this podcast and it's still ongoing um, just as it was two or three weeks ago and possibly even further back. But how much do you think it does have an impact or is it a case of forget all of that? The players now just have to take a little bit of responsibility and say, look, the reality is we're conceding goals and we're not scoring any. And then together, that's only going to end one way, isn't it? Yeah. I think there's certain uh, aspects we can look at. I think that um, as, a, as a player, I never um, seem to get affected by any of the antics off the pitch. Because once, once you walk across that line, ultimately you're doing the thing you love, you're playing football. Um, unless it, unless it involves money and wages then then you know i could see the the, the um you know your thought process being slightly different um or as we've spoken about in the past if you wanted the manager out which i've never come across well once i've come across it but um you know and um but it, it, you know that that i've always found that the players whilst you're training and whatnot and you're enjoying yourself and and you're working hard in training and, and the games, I don't think it really affects you because your mind is fixed on trying to get the result. As regards to their performances, I think Adams hit it on the nail, really. We have a real big problem um, of, of finishing finishing our chances. And, and create. I think we create chances. I'd like to see us create more. Um, I do have a problem with the speed of the game. You know, I think that sometimes it's too slow. And when it is too slow, it's a lot easier to defend defend against us, especially when you're struggling for, for form. But I, I think that what the games that we've seen, David, you know, and um, I think the other guys will probably, you know, uh, agree with us, is that it doesn't seem when you're watching the team that the team is lacking confidence. You know, but they just seem to make an error and get really, really punished for it. Um and and by the fact that they're not scoring goals, that puts a lot of pressure on the defence to perform well. And I think the defence, to be fair, have performed well. But when you've got that pressure of of like knowing that you're not going to score many goals, 
then that extra pressure when you make that odd mistake seems to get punished. And I've been in that situation before. And, you know, you play really, really well. You make one slight error, bang, it's a goal. But you're thinking, Christ, you know. Um, the, first, the, year, the first year I came in, 84, we battered sides, absolutely battered sides, hit the crossbar, hit the post, keeper making amazing saves. They got half a chance. It was in the back of the net. You know, so uh, am I worried? I think they've got two, they've got two games. Look, you always want the points, not the games. But they've got two, two games in hand on York. And on the other teams, they've got one uh, game in hand, which um, would put them uh, in, in a, if they can win one of those games, would put them in a far better position. Um, so I'm not con- too concerned at the moment. I think we've seen enough positives um, to, to, you know, to, for us to be able to get out of it. On that note, I I was talking to a lot of the York press before and during the game uh, that I know quite well, and I highlighted to them before the game that Yeovil had conceded only five more than Wrexham and Notts County, and mm-hmm. they simply could not believe it until they saw the game. Um, something that I don't know how well it came across on the commentary, but the only reason Yeovil were in that game, and I'm sure Dave and will agree with me that having watched it a lot more grant smith is the only reason we're in this position yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. grant grant That's... smith kept us in that game more yeah. times than i cared to imagine yeah. uh, i agree with you completely thorpe that it was slow um which worked quite well both for york and for yeovil because it was probably the slowest game i've seen at york all season yeah simply because york play at a similar pace because they're in a similar position and and it was so I think if I'd I'd have been delighted from a York perspective if it had been any other opponent. It was it was just a very it was disappointing that it happened to come against Yeovil. I wasn't sure uh whether my blood pressure would handle it, but it just about did. And and the Yeovil defense looked all right. I, I was disappointed with Morgan Williams. Um every chance that York were creating was coming down his side. Uh, Ryan Law looked very, very good. I hadn't seen him at all this season and since he's arrived on loan from Plymouth. And and overall, there are there are positives. Uh, you know, over the years, we've seen Yeovil sides in the last 10 years that have also suffered relegation where you sit there and go, I can't really find many, if any, positives. So mm-hmm. so we're not entirely out of the woods yet. And, and you're right, the, uh, we'd rather have the points than the games. But... I think there are a few positive results still yet to come. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, Rick, I'll, I'll come to you next. Um, I'm sure it's, you know, it's, a, it's a difficult <clears throat> one to kind of ascertain exactly what, you know, um, what can be, be done to try and push this going forward. Because when you're sort of stuck in a rut, uh, which they seem to be at the moment, I mean, I think... Adam, correct me if I'm wrong, that York hadn't won since, was it early January, I think, their Some previous like win? It's, and yeah. when the Oval Town, particularly from a fan's perspective, they're going to these places, they're going to a Maidstone, and then coming away with a real sort of lacklustre performance, it makes it very difficult for the fans to have something to get behind. And obviously at the time of recording, we haven't played Altrincham yet, but we feel like I say it every week, but it's a huge game already because yeah. I I think I think Thorpe, you were at the game when um 
Chris Hargreaves, the one before he got sacked, which I think was possibly the older shot game. Mm. And it was a very, very toxic atmosphere at Hewish Park. Mark Cooper's done in, uh, come in, and he's tried to shed steady the ship as much as possible, and it certainly looked a lot more positive. But Rick, um, just to finish the original point, I'm I'm worried that if you get the bad result tomorrow, and suddenly it's just going to feel really, really bad again. Yeah. <laughs> There's no other way of putting it, is there? Against an Altrincham side that have won their last three games as well, so they're mm. coming into a bit of form. So that's nice. I it's the same story as it has been for the last couple of seasons for you. They're a goal, goal scorer short of being a decent side. The rest of it is fairly compact. Don't concede an awful lot, but then if you're only ever going to score, you're never going to score more than one goal in a game, then it's difficult to to turn draws into wins. wins. And it just seems that at the moment, with, with that lack of a goal scorer, you go into a Yeovil game expecting them to see them play well, compete, and lose by an odd goal. And if they're lucky, not if they're lucky, but if if things go go right, then they'll get a nil-nil draw. And that does seem to be at the moment the best that Yeovil can hope to get out of games because they're not scoring goals. Solid as they are at the back and competitive as they are. Unless you can score multiple goals in a game, you're not going to win that many. And three points yeah. makes a hell of a difference. It's that old situation that you rather go win one, lose one, win one, lose one, than keep draw drawing all the time which is what Yobu do at best at the moment, is they're not getting those wins because they're not scoring goals. It's, yeah. it's as simple as that. Yeah. AD, I'll come to you. Are we getting to a point now where performances don't particularly matter and it's just a case of getting some results on the board and then worry about performances later? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, one thing, just to, just to add a bit of gloom to the doom, um, I've been joyously going along thinking you know to to get relegated that'll be all right we'll get out of that all right but I was talking to Gary Johnson last night on the dog and uh, he said oh no it's four get relegated and I'm thinking yeah. good god I didn't realize that so that isn't that is not good at all um okay we've got 15 games left yeah you're right I, you know the the result is what matters I'm afraid the performance I'm sorry for those of you going to Hewish Park and paying your money to do it but I don't think that matters. We've got to stay up. Crowd have got to get behind him, which is not going to be easy when, when people are making mistakes and, and it's not going quite the way it is. But, I mean, clearly the manager has isolated what he thinks the problem is and uh, he was he was he didn't hold back at, at all after the game and, you know, basically saying the strikers are just not doing it. And if we'd had their strikers, we'd have been pushing for, for a, a playoff spot, which says it all to me. So, you know... But I'm not saying that our lads aren't trying. I think our lads are trying. But, you know, you, you can only do what you can do, what you're, you're physically and mentally capable of doing in, in a situation like that. And if it doesn't come off, it just doesn't come off, does it? You know, and it just gets worse then because it, it's just like piling more pressure onto an already bad situation. Ada, you mentioned it a few months ago, didn't you, when we, we sort of... Um laughed at your comment about not being able to shop at Waitrose anymore and you're shopping at Lidl, but that's exactly it, isn't it? Yeah, no, that's right. And, and I mean, you know, Gary told me a few things, which I won't reveal on, on air now, but but certainly, you know, I think that poor Mark Cooper is having to, is, he's having to, I don't think, at Lidl, he's going to the corner shop any now, I think he's trying to, trying to get, you know, players in, but he's finding it extremely hard. And as he said again on his, his post-match comments, um, at this stage of the season, 
um, okay, we haven't got a transfer window to worry about, but as he said, other teams, they're not going to let you have their best players because they want them no. themselves, you know. So we, yeah. we, what hope have you got of getting a half-sensible player in at this particular point? If you're lucky, then you've got a, a really <clears throat> confident, really good um, 17, 18-year-old like sort of Garnacho is to United. You know, then maybe that would make the difference, but I mean, you don't get many of them about, do you? Just on the last point then, Aid, and I know it's a, even more of a depressing one, but obviously there's a lot of talk at the moment, and Cooper mentioned it in, a, in his press conference, that he owed a lot to um, both Martin Starnes and um, uh, Stuart Robbins as well, because if it wasn't for them, then who knows where the club might be. Just how right... Are the fans to be worried about whether or not this club can even exist? Is, oh, is it is it getting to that point, or are you look, able to offer any hope in that respect? Look, look at it this way: if you were the mysterious people that are supposedly trying to buy the club, right? They've been going at it now for at least six to eight weeks, I should think, isn't it? It must be now. Um, so presumably, a price. I mean. If you're going to buy anything, surely the most crucial thing that you decide on and, is, and, and agree is the price. So unless they've agreed on a price and they can't, they can't change that price, then that price is logically going to be going down every time we drop points and get closer and closer to the, to the um, relegation spots. So I think, this, you know, I think it's a very serious situation. It's, it's, I think you know, we've been, quite, been through quite a bit over the last, what, um, 18 months, I suppose, really, when you go right back through. Um, and I think this is as worse as it's got, to be honest. To to provide a bit of context, as I, from a, from a football finance perspective, in regards to these types of takeovers, um, you're absolutely right that it often starts with, let's agree, a price, which is bu- built on 101 different factors. But the the key piece of information that takes place is once they once they go into an agreement of going yes we are interested in buying the club and they get exclusive rights which 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 correlated with the with the social media post coming out about six to eight weeks ago they get access to what um, in the industry they refer to as the data room and what that is basically they get access to all of the accounts hmm. every, everything that is not necessarily available from a public domain perspective. If I had to speculate, I would suggest they found something they don't like. This is, you know, this could be 101 different things. This may have something to do with uh, the fact that we don't own Hewish Park anymore. And it's obviously now owned by South Somerset or all the other discussions about what's actually going to be done with the land, which is a whole other separate issue that's full of conjecture that I don't wish to touch with a 10 foot barge pole. But the... It, I would suggest that there's a lot of other problems here, and given Yeovil's current plight on the field, that price is probably the one they agreed six to eight weeks ago is probably no longer appropriate because the price for a National League club is probably double you would pay for a National League South side. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, well, we'll hopefully have some better news on and off the field over the coming days. So don't forget that if you are listening to this as soon as the podcast is released, then you can catch myself and Cy Fire uh, on the commentary for the game against Altrincham on Three Valleys Radio, where hopefully 
there will be something a little bit more positive um, to talk about. But talking of positives, then I'm going to highlight and give Rick and AD a chance to revel in the <laughs> glory from Manchester United winning the first piece of silverware of the season. If you don't include the Community Shield that uh, Liverpool won at Leicester on the, back in August, which I'm sure we all remember. Um, Rick, a lot Hello. of talk in the build-up was, of course, about Newcastle's <clears throat> long wait and about Carrius, um, which was way over the top about how much they were talking about the Champions League final performance. Um, it, it, everyone just got so rolled up in the narrative. And in the end... There's a bit of huff and puff of Newcastle, but it was probably as routine a win in a final as it gets, wasn't it? Yeah, there's a lot been said about if the final had been played a month ago, then Newcastle would have had more of a chance than uh, they did yesterday. But they, frankly, they did they didn't show up. It's uh, their fans did. Uh, they won the Trafalgar Square Trophy on Saturday, and well done to them <laughs> for that. But uh, nah. As, it's uh, it's funny how all of a sudden a trophy gets devalued just because United win it. It's now it's now a real Mickey Mouse trophy apparently. But um, I'm pretty sure you told me that when Liverpool won it last year. But we'll uh, yeah, quite possibly. Football fans are nothing if not massive hypocrites, aren't they? But, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, what what makes it sweet? I mean, as as a as a United supporter, we have won trophies since. Fergie retired, but this is the first time it actually feels like it's something that might be leading towards something rather than just a one-off occasion like the the Van Hal FA Cup and Mourinho winning the Carabao and the Europa League. Ironically, too, that United could win this season. But Ten Hag is an absolute magician, and if there's a better manager working in world football at the moment, I'd like to know who it was because what he's what he's done with that group of players that last season, season before, primarily the same sort of squad, you couldn't get a tune out of them. And now all of a sudden they look like an effective unit. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's testament to him. He's, he's bought into the club, says how much he loves the club now, which is understandable and uh, get some decent owners in who are prepared to invest in the infrastructure of the club rather than the players because the players have been invested in all along, it's just been. It's, it's ironic, actually. You look at you look at the crowd. One of the things that was quite telling was the fact that you had Fergie sat next to David Gill, who uh, both left the club at the same time. At the same time, the club went down the toilet because you replaced those two with Joel Glazer and Ed Woodward, and it's chalk and cheese. And the performance of the club over that time reflects it. But and obviously, people. Don't want to hear about that. They'd rather hear about the glorious success of Manchester United and the fact that it sticks in the claw of everybody who's been enjoying United's fall from the grace over the last ten years makes it all the sweeter. Really, just just dining out on the the bitter bitter tears of the ABUs is is quite nice. Mm. Ad, was the champagne flowing in the Hopper household on Sunday evening? Well, metaphorically, yes, but not in reality. No, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, uh, no, I mean, I, I, you know, I loved every minute of it. Obviously, I mean, there were a few moments of concern, but not, not really. I mean, we always felt that you were on top. I mean, all credit to Newcastle for the flags. I thought the way they did the stadium up was brilliant, um, and you know. 
uh, although Rick had a very a very um, interesting point that uh, you know the reason that uh, United shelled out and gave everybody a free scarf was because they didn't want to see any green and yellow ones there, which uh, is an interesting point with Mr. Glazer in residence, as uh, as I say. But no, mm. I thought I thought United did did enough. But let's not you know let's not forget the fact they'd had two very difficult games beforehand against Barcelona and got a draw away and a, and beat them at home, coming from behind on both occasions. Um, you know, and they're playing well. They're really playing well at the moment. And uh, I'm just trying to think, who did they play on Saturday, on, on the weekend league game, Rick? Last weekend was Leicester. Leicester, that's right, yeah. And we beat them as well. So, you know, they are, they are, they are on a really rich vein of form at the moment. And, you know, I think uh, West Ham are probably going to be for the chop, hopefully. And, you know, it's all possible. I can't... I mean, logic dictates we're not going to score... We're not going to um, win four trophies. I mean, nobody's ever uh, won three apart from United, so I can't really believe that they're going to do four. I mean, if they did, it would be, well, dreamland, but I can't really see that happening. I'm not doing that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you want to do, do, you want to do the one next week, Because uh, who, who, who do United play next Sunday, Adrian? Uh. Yeah, who is it? Um, let me just think of it. Um, yes. Yes, a really informed team, so yeah, uh, that yeah. kind of bite us on the fun. Exactly. I mean, weren't they? Weren't <laughs> they magnificent against Real Madrid? I mean, two nil up, and they give it away five two. Hey, one subject at a time. Adrian, Adrian <laughs> don't, don't forget, not 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 everybody can beat the league leaders of La Liga. Some some have to lose at home yeah, to the team yeah. that's second. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, that's just right. But you know, but no. I mean, joking, mm. joking aside, they were they were good. I'm chuffed. It is it is a, um, a what is it a, a parrot off their shoulders that uh, you know they haven't won a trophy for six six seasons or whatever. Probably it is. a monkey off the back age. That's the one. Say yeah, a monkey. Well, is it well, a parrot? Well, well, what's Ross wrong with a parrot anyway? Come on, I think I think a parrot's all right. Um, it's a monkey so, off your back. I said it's a monkey off your back. Yeah. I said it's a monkey off your back. Yeah, yeah. Is, it, is it a monkey off your back? Yeah. But no, I mean they they you know they've got rid of that now. So I mean it's it's all systems go now, and let's let's just see what they can achieve. I don't think the league's out of the question. Um, I, I think, if anything, it's the European one that could be dodgy because there's still a lot of good teams left in that that could pro- pose a problem. Juventus to be one of them. Um, Arsenal are still in that as well. So that's not that's not a given at all, I don't think. But uh, but no, I'm I'm absolutely over the moon, delighted. Well done, Eric. Well done, the boys. Can't have any more of it though. From a from a Newcastle perspective, then Thorpe. Obviously, a lot's been said about the takeover and the new money, for want of a better term, um, and the success that people are expecting Newcastle to have over the next four or five seasons and potentially beyond that. Um, Mm -hmm. How much of a catapult would it have been if Newcastle had won a trophy this weekend with all the money and everything that's coming into the club? If they were to have won that trophy, would that have maybe propelled and accelerated some of the transfer business in the summer um obviously we're never going to know now but do you think that would have been just as significant for newcastle if not more significant because of the backing that they've got well first and foremost he's he's done an amazing job and he's brought in some players i wouldn't have expected them having all that money you would have expected them to really go out there and try and get 
some big players, but he hasn't done so. But he's he's been ingenious in what he's actually bought in. You know, take take um, Burn for, for 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 instance. What a magnificent signing, and what an amazing season he's had. If if they'd have won um, the Carabao Cup, I think it might have propelled him into a false sense of security, possibly. Um, and I think that this will make them hungrier for, for more success. So I actually think it's more of a learning curve for them. Did I expect them to win on, on Sunday? No. My wife's a Newcastle fan, bless her. And um, she was shouting at the TV left, right, centre. Yeah, but they just didn't take the chances. You've got to be ruthless, haven't you? And, they, and, and, and you've got to be ruthless in both boxes. And, and Man United were ruthless in, in, in both boxes. And... Um, you know, they also had a keeper on uh, amazing form as well. You know, and I expected Manchester United to win that trophy. I've got to be honest with you. Yeah. Yes. I don't know what happened there. It just suddenly just disappeared. Yeah, so, so looking at the, um, you know, the Manchester United squad uh, and the Newcastle squad, I think that Newcastle have done amazingly well. But I think the squad isn't quite as strong as what Manchester United had. But those players weren't performing. Now... Ten Hag has, as I say, done the most amazing job in turning that mentality and that culture around. And what, what I thought was really, really interesting as regards to uh, the... I, I like body language. I like, lo- love looking at body language. I think it tells you so much. And, and when he came in, he was very, very stern-faced, like, you've got a job to do here. I'm very stern-faced, and I've had to make some really difficult decisions. Now you see him messing around with players, hugging players, smiling, you know, and, and, and that, that tells you that he's happy in his, in his workplace. They're happy in his workplace. They're happy to clown around with him a little bit. Um, and he seems to have got the culture right there. And that, that sort of like worries me as, a, as, as a, an opponent, not just because it's Liverpool, but I think that if he's getting it right at Man United and then being possibly the wealthiest club in the world as regards to what they can bring in as regards to, uh, you know, um, selling shirts and, 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 and selling tickets. Um, you know, it is, it's a worrying time for, for, for the opponents in that league because they could be a force to be reckoned with, you know, and, and when you think that he can add to that, that, that squad as well, um, you know, but as regards to the question uh, about Newcastle, I think they're absolutely where they should be. I think he's done an amazing job to get them to a final. Arguably um, further ahead. Yeah, I think so, further ahead. I think he's shown that the players, where they can be, and if he carries on adding quality, which I expect him to do, um, I, I think that that hunger, um, they, they could be in a very, very good place. But at some stage, you've got to pull in world-class players and that's going to be the difficulty at Newcastle, I think. The fact that the fact that they've got that money, brilliant. Now he's got to do a Kevin Keegan and bring in absolute world-class players um, and really deliver and take them to the next level. And that's going to be a very, very difficult job. On that point, Thorpey, um, yeah. the thing that I think a lot of people have been surprised at with Newcastle is that, you know, the, the, the Arabs bought them. You know, the, their Arabs have got bottomless pits of money 
And yet some of the players that they bought, I mean, I think everybody was expecting to go out and buy, you know, buy Messi and Beppe, you name them, all the top players. Oh, well, mm. you know, they come within their scope because they've got the money. But in actual fact, I think they've been quite, quite controlled over who they have been out and bought. I mean, you mentioned Dan Byrne. Um, yeah, that, that, amazing signing. Yeah, you know, and, and I mean, the, the Brazilian guy, I can't pronounce his name, Bruno something. I mean, I don't think even yeah. he was that expensive. And yet, you know, they, they've built up a, a, a half-sensible side. And as you say, yeah, they're, exactly. they're, they're I probably... I was very surprised when he bought Chris Wood. But mm. Chris Wood actually did a very good job for him in, in, in setting play up. He, I knew he wasn't going to score many goals, but in what he actually did for that club whilst he was there, you know, and I thought, I, I think that they, they did right. They, they got him in there. He did a very good job for him and they got him out and said, look, he's done a great job. Brilliant. Well done. Thing is, um, with, with, this, with this buying players and stuff, Adam will probably know more about it than we will. With the financial fair play, there's another team that are in great danger of having their titles taken away and all sorts of punishments don't doesn't the the financial fair play they can't go straight out and spend money that they can't conceivably hide at the moment or justify having in their coffers they can't go out and spend that if it's come from nowhere other than the the owners they have to show that it's they have to balance the books in fact don't they adam Um, moving forward not not as directly as they have to balance they have there's a there's the the number is the acceptable losses so the idea yeah. is if you make more money you can spend more money and that's yeah. and that's kind of the premises of it uh newcastle were in a very very good position and you know some questioned why they bought newcastle because arguably they were the most appropriate to buy in the premier league at the time because yeah. mike ashley for all of his uh various issues and um, choices on strategy, so we say, um, he ran a very tight financial ship. And as a result, they were one of the very few clubs that consistently made a profit. What that then means is that there's more room for the Saudi Arabians to have come in and gone, right, well, we can work with a lot of stuff here because they've got more room to do it with. Whereas someone like Everton is is the complete polar opposite. They spent and spent and spent, probably on the same level Mm. of... Uh, probably the same level of stature as Newcastle, but whereas Everton have spent and spent and spent, it hasn't worked, and they're now suffering from it now. Mm. So, so there was a there's a there's an overwhelming level of strategy from it. It's to me the overwhelming thing for Newcastle is that they're not going to be taken for um, taken lightly. They're not just going to sign a blank check. Which, when Man City got all of their money in, when Chelsea got theirs, and you could probably reel off hundreds of other teams over the years that have done it, they'll just pay whatever they want because they want immediate success. They're, they're not willing to be, you know, if someone, if they try and approach for a player, they're going to go, well, we know that Newcastle have got loads of money, so we'll, we'll stick another 10 million on the price tag. And they'll go, all right, well, we'll go find someone else. So it's, it's really, really good. I would also argue that Chris Wood is probably the smartest signing they've ever made. Because at the time, when they bought him and they activated his release clause, and there is a key difference between the two, it took away the main source of goals of a relegation rival rather than than anything else. So Mm. what it did was rather than necessarily make Newcastle better, it made Burnley worse. Worse. And and so that, that the, the amount of money that they get from staying in the Premier League is more influential to them than trying to go and find some other striker and try and battle Burnley directly. 
So uh, I like Bruno Gumaraj. He was very, very good, although looked a bit flat in the cup final uh, on Sunday, I would argue. But uh, it's they are still a force to be reckoned with. My, my argument would also be, if they had won the cup, I actually think it would have fundamentally changed how they did things moving forward. Because once you've quali- once you've won the Carabao Cup, you qualify for Europe, which is which is the goal for all of these clubs, clubs over time. Well, if they then get there a bit quicker than head of schedule, which I think we'd all agree would be, does that stop the spending? Does that go, well, you've got your current club and you've got this level, so we're not going to spend 200 million this summer like we thought we were going to. We'll limit it to 100. And it might completely change the dynamic of how they've spent. I think the overwhelming thing, the difference between Man United and Newcastle was, was the level of depth, who they brought off the bench. Now, I know that we've got the full-paying members of the Harry Maguire fan club on, on the call this evening. But even someone like him, bringing him on or uh, even having Martial on the bench and everyone else that Man United have got, you don't win a cup final with Jacob Murphy and Joe Willock. And that's what Newcastle are currently dealing with. Yeah. So it's it's um, still some way to go, but I think we will probably see them... I. This isn't the last time we're going to see Newcastle Man United as a cup final for a, mm. for a few years. This isn't the last time. Thorpe, final point because we must move on. Yeah, I just think that. <laughs> um, I just <laughs> think that, right. So, so as regards to the spending side of Newcastle, Newcastle, this is where the, the business side of it comes in. And and don't make it a long point. No. Okay. So <laughs> pre-season. Pre-seasons, they go away to America. Uh, Man United go to America. They do Asia. You know, it's really important now that where they take Newcastle. So to get to the level of Man United, you've got to do Asia. They've got the Arab side of it. You know, they can do Qatar. They could do like um, Dubai. They could do, but you need to take it to where you can actually. Africa's a great one. You know, you can take those and promote the club, sell the shirts, and that that's where your global product is yet if you want to make Newcastle as big as Man United which will take forever because Man United have been doing it for a long time you know you've got to you've got to promote that club around the world and that's how you do the shirt sales and that's how you can increase your spending so your business side of it has got to be bang on and where they take that football club you know in pre-seasons and how they promote them you know globally that's the really massive important part because then they can increase their spend there you go, then. If you're listening, Mrs. Stavely, listen to Paul Thorpe and take your club to Asia and around the rest of the world. It's a good point. Uh, it's a very good point. It's all about the the commercial global element of, of football these days. I want to yeah. bring on to the, to the title race at the moment. There are wins for both Arsenal and Manchester City this weekend. Um, Arsenal strolling on. There was another really... Should we say controversial VAR call in the Leicester game where Trossard's really good goal was chalked off for a oh. foul? On I don't know why I'm doing the air quotes. You can't see that on a um, audio podcast, can you? But it was um, soft to say the least. Ad, did you see it? Yeah, I did. It was a stomping goal, I thought. But uh, yeah, you know, this is this is the, the problem of VAR, isn't it? I see the guy that in charge of it now is retiring at the end of the season, probably just as well. Let's think. Let's think. Get somebody else in who's got a little bit more savvy about making it work. But uh, it's quite damning when a few, when a lot of them are starting to drop out. Like yeah. we've already seen Lee Mason 
yes. go as well. Exactly. No, it is, and, and you know. But I, I, I'm surprised you you mentioned the title race because you didn't mention the fact that Man United won as well. So they are still there, albeit they are slightly behind. Yes. Don't get any points for winning the Carabao Cup, eh? I was going to say no, you exactly. didn't play twice this weekend. Oh, well, I was thinking of Leicester. Sorry. Uh, yes. I, I, yeah. But even so, they, they are still there anyway. So um, you know, it's it's coming on, isn't it? But what about Chelsea? That's the point. Well, yes, quite. I mean, from a from a fan's perspective of Chelsea, I think I know that Todd Bowley, isn't it? Am I saying that right? He's yeah. the guy that is giving him uh, Graham Potter all the support. But if the fan pressure gets too much, I think even if he has every intention of keeping him and giving him the time, I don't think he'll be able to. He'll be able to do it, will he, Rick? Because if the fan pressure is too much, he's going to have to make a change. Well, typical of lovely Chelsea fans. They've been spoiled and been put into an artificial position, realistically, for the size of the club with the money they've had from Abramovich and now from Bowling, whatever. And they get to a situation, they can't accept it, and Graham Potter's getting death threats and threats to his family. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, for goodness sake, sort yourselves out, people. Nobody has a divine right to do to win anything as well as a United fan we found out over the last last few years nobody and football is cyclical and if you're going to go Todd Bowley's uh, strategy is so scattergun as far as buying players it's like let's see who somebody else is interested in mm. right we'll have them then and there's no there doesn't appear to be Rick let me give me let me give you it. an example let me give you an example um, of the fans so for, so I, w- I went to the uh, the pub to watch the cup final, right? Uh, I was speaking was to a, a Chelsea. Was there cup final at the weekend? Then? Uh, there was, yeah. And I, I, oh, I don't good. know why. I, it was an occasion for me. I went out. Okay. Um, but there was a Chelsea fan there. Did you take Harry with I, you? Uh, no, it was. I I had a afternoon off. Oh, right. okay. <laughs> so fully made the most of it. But Golden pass. I was talking to a Chelsea fan, and he said to me. Oh yeah, Graham Potter's absolutely rubbish. I tell you who we do want in. I'd love to see Eddie Howe. I was like, what? You mean an Englishman who's doing well at a little bit of a lesser club from yeah. the top six, like Graham Potter, like you've got at the moment? Like I couldn't believe it, the justification. But that just goes to show exactly, you know, I think, what I how think fans think. I think your opening point to the question is exactly the point. You you said that it's the support from Todd Bowley. (laughs) I don't think it is. There's an argument to be made. He's actually harming the process because they've spent oodles of money and they've they've maintained the Man United transfer strategy pre-Ten Hag before you jumped my throat, Rick. No, no, you're absolutely right. I couldn't agree more. I used to joke about it that the Man United transfer strategy would be they would open up various newspapers that weekend. They would see who they were in theory linked to and then that would be their shortlist. And Mm. and Chelsea have done exactly the same thing where Bowley's gone and taken this approach and Bowley plus others because there are others in the bid although Bowley is the front man. the, The claim that We've given you all these players. You still haven't given Graham Potter a striker. They gave him 400 wingers and several midfielders, and I still think Enzo Fernandez is going to be really good, despite being really expensive. Still no striker in there. They still have to play Aubameyang. They still have to play Kai Havertz, who isn't a striker, and he knows it. And Potter's got to sort of sit there and go, well, I have to merge all of this together. It's going to take time, if it's even at all possible. 
and he probably won't get given the time because well, we've given all these tools. But if the tools aren't fit for purpose, they're exactly. going to let continue me, to lose. Let me ask it another way and probably in a more cynical way. Um, Thorpe, if, if Graham Potter was Spanish, would he be getting less pressure from the uh, than the Chelsea fans? He'd be out by because now. He's an English, because no, he's an no. English manager that's got in there. Because um, I don't no, think no. any manager would be able to put this um, together for what Adam said, this scattergun approach that they've got. Yeah. It's always going to take the summer to then push on again, surely. The, you're absolutely right. No, no is the answer. They've still been under this much pressure. The death threats is absolutely crazy. I mean, what are people thinking about? I mean, it's, it's absolutely ludicrous how our fans think and how they think they can bully the club into getting rid of the manager. Um, it, I, I, I think whoever was there, the problem is, as a coach and as a manager, I want to choose who I have at that football club. And when that's taken away from you and you're given what you would consider somebody who, it, who you don't even fancy, which happened to Chris Hargreaves, you know, two strikers come in there, or let's, you know, we're paying him that. He didn't even want them. You know, you can't distill any more confidence in yourself. Then you've got to try and, where does he fit in? I've got to play him because they're paying him this, you know, and, and, and it's ridiculous how football has changed. And I think it's certainly not for the better, where, like in my day, the manager, he was managing the football club, every aspect. That means recruitment as well. And when that's taken away from you, I think it makes it harder, you know. And the Chelsea man, Chelsea fans should realise this. Doesn't take a lot of brain cells to be fair, you know. He, if it don't give him, give him the opportunity to fail, getting his own players. But isn't it funny how he's gone from one extreme to the other? He's gone from Brighton, whose research on players and their recruitment is yeah. one of the best in Europe, yeah. and he's gone to this. Because he and had an input. He had an input, and that's yeah, what he discussed absolutely. with the recruitment of of of, uh, of um, you know. Listen, boss. Listen, boss. Is this the right type of player that we're looking for? And we'll discuss it. Blah, blah, blah. This is what we're looking for. This is where the team needs to develop. We we say like for instance, just off the top of my head, we're a little bit lack on the on the right right hand side. We're not defensively like uh, as good there. This is the type of player we need. He's an Espanol. Right, let's start, let's start looking at him. You start looking at him, see how consistent he is. What are his stats like? Da, 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 da. It's all stats now. You know, and right, it, we, we've decided he's the right person. Right, let's go for him. Can we afford him? Am you I know? right in thinking that Chelsea haven't actually won a football match since the January transfer window closed? I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're probably right. You're probably right. But, you know, he's got a then, and I've said this in the past, it doesn't matter who you've got and I'll go back again to say what I've said plenty of times before. When you had the Galacticos of Real Madrid that had the, so many amazing players and they couldn't win the league and they couldn't win Europe. It's no good. It's, you've got to be able to knit these players together to make a football team. And he was given the time to do that, you know, at Brighton, Nova Albion. You know? When you can have the best players in the world, but if they don't fit your system, what's <laughs> the point? There's, Absolutely. There's, there's no need to have them. It's... You, you, you had that problem at Man United. Now all Absolutely. of a sudden, no, Ten Hag. Right. Under Ten Ed Hag, Woodward, United has... will go chasing 
big names because it Absolutely. would sell shirts in Asia and whatever. Yeah. And it wasn't helping the structure of the team. Whereas Absolutely. tonight, he's, every player he's brought in, he's brought in Antonio Martinez from Ajax because he knows they can do a job. Casemiro is an absolute Rolls Royce of a player. And, and these yeah. are good players that fitted positions that United needed. Yeah. He didn't bring in another um, left-sided attacker because he's got Marcus Rashford there. He didn't bring in someone to do Bruno Fernandes' job because he's already got him there. So it's, it's sensible management. And Potter's been... I, th I think they're actually doing him more harm than good by keeping him there because he's deflecting a lot of flack away from this approach because he, he's, he's a scapegoat. He's, he's being hung out to dry, I think. Well, he's, and, he's and another Chris Hargreaves and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He's too much of a nice guy. He's, he's obviously not... He, he's accepting everything that's... Here, Graham, have this one, have this some, one. Have AD, AD, you got to remember, sometimes you don't get a choice. Nathan well, no. Jones never got the choice either. No, no. He got, well, he got given that squad and, mm. he, and he tried to make it work. And, OK, he said yeah. a few things I wish he hadn't said, but generally he was trying to get them to work harder and it wasn't working. Well, let's so look what at they the, do, let's, get rid of the manager. Let's mm. look at the, the other end of the table then, because the, the relegation battle is getting quite interesting now as well. Leeds. Leeds have finally... Please got their manager but I actually from a personal point of view think this is actually quite a good appointment people were giving Javier Gracia a bit of a hard time because he was number you know 20 on the list or or whatever it was or as Adam suggested possibly just that they opened a paper and had a little look similar to the old Manchester United transfer strategy but Gracia was very unlucky to get um, sacked at Watford, considering it was he only could never have been sacked at Watford, and he was the longest-serving mm. Watford manager. Which, let me tell you, is quite something to be yep. a longest-serving yeah. Watford manager yeah. in a Premier League era. And Adam, I'll come to you first on this one. They've just sort of happened to bump into a very sensible appointment, haven't they? Well, I, I would say so. It's it's. I think it's going to be quite good. I, I think it was disappointing to happen for Jesse Marsh. Um, as we Is all know, I live in... enough. That's the question, well, I guess. I, I, I maintain that I actually spoke to someone who works at Leeds United the other day through a various uh, piece of work. And I said, are you disappointed about him leaving? And he said, no, I'm not. Not. And I said, oh, he seemed like he came across a nice guy. Jesse Marsh came down very well and everyone really liked him. He had no plan B. When you're the manager of Watford you need about 400 different plans because you'll know you're going to get sacked whether you've lost that match pretty much immediately anyway. Um, he, Javi Gracia, got Watford to a FA Cup final. Like, that's that's not an easy thing to do. 11th place finish in the table as yeah. well, I think. 11th place, FA Cup, knowing full well, one wrong move, and he's gone. That's immense level of pressure. Leeds will expect a similar thing for obvious reasons that they're at the wrong end of the table. I think it's going to end up being a quite a, a, a good appointment, really. Will they survive? I'm not sure, but he's the type of guy I'd want in the championship. When you, when you sort of see their um, fixtures, they got they got Fulham tomorrow away. Difficult game, but but listen, you, you can still win that game. Then you got Chelsea uh, away again. You can easily win that game. What's going on there? You got Brighton at home. That, that's not unfeasible that they you know as much as I like Brighton and the way they're playing it's not unfeasible that you couldn't couldn't get a result there Wolves away again that could go either way you got a free hit against Arsenal 
away. Uh, then you've got Nottingham Forest at home. So there, there's, there's, there's an opportunity there to pick up points. And they could easily jump up a few few places. Um, so that's that's not that's not unfeasible for them to get out. You know, I know Rick's got them down to go down. Um, Every season, mate. And one day season. I will be right. <laughs> Actually, I'll, I'm just going to go, uh, Rick. You had um, <laughs> Man United to to to, uh, to win the league. Then Liverpool second. No, so you had United. Sorry, Man. You had Man City to win. Then Liverpool second. Um, I'll take that. (laughs) Then Chelsea. Then United. (laughs) In fifth place, you had West Ham and then Arsenal. (laughs) Yeah, Arsenal in sixth place. Well, yeah. yeah, let's wow. let's let's see if we can go through our predictions at the I'll end of the I'll season. Because unfortunately, our producer <laughs> has just told me that we're about three or four minutes over <laughs> over the end Fantastic. of this podcast. Right, we so we're going to have to cut the bit out where Thorpe's rinsing me. All right. About yeah. <laughs> so, Adam, <laughs> brilliant commentary up up at York on your yeah. Three Valleys commentary. Well done. Thank you. Thank you for, well done. Mate. Well done. Yeah, well Thank done. Thank you Alan. for coming on to the podcast to unfold it all, Rick. Thanks Thank very much as always. Welcome. Talking. I'll try to bring Thank another trophy next week. Okay, so <laughs> got to bring one every week now. Um, and Ad, I'll let you sign off as per. Well, as per, thanks everybody. Thanks everybody for listening. Don't forget tomorrow. Well, it won't be tomorrow night now, but as far as we're concerned, today it's tomorrow night. We've got commentary uh, of. Yelvertown versus Altrigham, I think it Altrigham. is. Altrigham. Yeah, Altrigham. So, uh, uh, usual time. Join us then. If not, same time next week. Same time, same station. Thanks very much for listening to Football Bloody Hell.